Hey, Inspire Church, how are you today? It is so good to be able to come to you, be able to share the rich word of God with you. I pray that you and your family are well, you're blessed, you're strong, you're healthy, and that you're enjoying God's favor in every part of your life. If you've joined us today and you're not a part of the Inspire Church family, we especially welcome you too. We trust the Word of God will be a blessing to you also. We'd like to get to know you better. And after all this pandemic is over, we look forward to the opportunity to do exactly that. I'm going to do a second part to the series that I'm in. And that series that I just started a week ago is simply entitled Sheltered in Place. As you are aware, we have been under guidelines that require that we shelter in place as much as possible due to the effects of the pandemic. And many people are struggling because they can't get out of their homes. There are people who are lonely. There are folk who have lost jobs. They're concerned about resources and income and how to pay bills and All of this while they're having to stay in their house by themselves. And that's a lot of pressure because in addition to the financial pressure and stresses, stresses, there are also all of the emotional stresses as well that are connected to this. As believers, we have learned that we can shelter in place even whenever everything around us is going crazy. We know that there's a a place in the time of crisis that we can go to where we can find the help that we need. David said it this way in Psalms 27 and verse 5. In the time of trouble, he that is God shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. I love that. Because there is a place where you can go when the distresses of life are about to overwhelm you. I'm turning to the gospel of Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. And I want us to look at the word of the Lord. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking. And he said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. All these things being the things that everyone needs to make life work, of course. And my subject today is simply this, when God is second. Now, the Bible is an extraordinarily amazing book. It's like the owner's manual of life. You buy a new car, you get an owner's manual. And if you follow the directions, generally speaking, it will help you get the maximum good out of your purchase. And that automobile will will run much better than if you don't follow the instructions in the manual. Well, this is what the Bible is. It's an owner's guide to life. The Bible is not meant to control your life like many people believe and like religion in the past used to teach us. The Bible is actually about principles that when they are followed, help you live a life that is so much more fulfilling than it would be otherwise. God isn't out to stifle your fun. I promise you he isn't trying to rain on your parade. He won't ever force you to live for him. Look at the Bible this way and its teachings like this. They're like the markings on the highway that separate the lanes going in opposite directions. God's not going to force you to go in a certain direction. He won't make you go to San Antonio or go to Beaumont. He'll let you choose which way to go. 
But the markings in the road help you to go in the direction you choose. And if you go in the right direction in life, you will always find that those markings guide you to a place of safety and fulfillment. They prevent you from causing terrible catastrophic accidents that harm you and your family and your loved ones and others around you. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, we find one of the most significant of all of the keys that there are found in the Word of God. Matthew 6 and 33 is designed by God to help you literally squeeze the most out of life that you possibly can. When you put God first in life, the result is is that He causes you, as Jesus said, to achieve the things that you're really striving to achieve and find the things that you're out there looking for and would be searching for if you left Him behind. The problem is, is that when you don't put God first, life just doesn't go very well at all. There's actually a story in the Bible about one of the ancient kings of Judah who chose to put God second. And he wanted to keep God close enough, see if this sounds familiar, that he could call on him if he ever needed to, but not so close that he had to put God first. Just kind of keep God on the periphery where if you get in trouble, hey, God, and he could show up and bail you out. But in the meanwhile, don't butt in, God. Just let me kind of go ahead and do my thing unless I call you. And if I call you, that's what I'll need you to come. In Second Kings, we read this sad story. In the 16th chapter, we begin in verse 10. Now, King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Urijah the priest the design of the altar and its pattern according to all its workmanship. Then Urijah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Urijah the priest made it before King Ahaz came back from Damascus. Then in Second Kings 16, verse 14. He also brought the bronze altar, which was before the Lord, from the front of the temple, from between the new altar and the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the new altar. Then King Ahaz commanded Urijah the priest, saying, On the great new altar, burn the morning burnt offering, the evening grain offering, the king's burnt offering and his grain offering with all the burnt offering of all the people of the land, their grain offering and their drink offerings and sprinkle on it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice and the bronze altar. That's the altar of the Lord shall be for me to inquire by. Thus did Urijah the priest according to all that King Ahaz commanded. Now, I want to lay this out for you and unpack this. So watch this story and watch it develop in your mind as I tell you the details. Syria had come to Jerusalem to war against Judah. There was a reason for this. In 2 Kings 16 and 2, we read Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God as his father David had done. Because they insisted, you know what God did? God allowed Judah and its leaders to walk away from under the divine covering of protection that had always been over Jerusalem. It's what he always does. He doesn't stand in your way. He won't keep you from doing what is wrong. It's like that highway. You choose to go to Beaumont 
or San Antonio, your choice. He won't force you to go in the right direction. But there are always, as it were, consequences that are attached to the decisions that we make in life, either good or bad. We get to choose those, and they come as part of the package. What God wants us to know is that if we walk away from him, we don't just walk away from him. We also are walking away from his plans for us and from his provisions for us as well. Among God's provisions is his divine protection. And because Ahaz and Judah walked away from God's provision and his, his, his plans for them, they walked away from his protection for them also. Ahaz chose to ignore God. Now watch his story as it unfolds. He chose to do evil. And that's what you do when you think the Bible is about God trying to cramp your style and keep you from having fun. You walk away from that because you don't want anybody to hold you back. If you ever discover that the Bible is about unpacking the real meaning of life, helping you discover who you are in God, helping you discover your purpose for having been created, your destiny, your reason for being here, then you'll look at the Bible in an altogether different light. I love what Jesus said in St. John. He said, I am come that you might have life, comma, and that you might have it more abundantly. I like to ask people this question. What side of the comma are you living on? The life side or the more abundant life side? Because you can move to the other side of the comma if you want to. Ahab chose to do evil in the sight of the Lord. And the result was is that Syria came with the divided kingdom of Israel, which had separated from Judah to attack Jerusalem, the seat of government and leadership for the nation of Judah. Division is a big part of the problem that is destroying the world today. There's been so much division in politics and division among nations and ethnicities and, and division everywhere you turn. Jesus said that a house divided against itself could not stand. People are divided on the basis of, of things that, that we really ought to try to unite around instead of being divided on. Their beliefs about so many issues today cause them to completely write people off that still have value in the eyes of God Almighty. And so you have a circumstance where there's extraordinary division in our world. And that was exactly what happened between the ten tribes of Israel and the remaining nation of Judah. Some people think that believing scripture and what it teaches is what causes division. That's not it. It's really when people reject the word of God that society fractures in a thousand different ways and goes in so many different directions. When the word of God is no longer accepted as the ultimate authority on the matters of life, it actually increases division because then everybody begins to contend for their own opinion, their own perspective. And you know what they say about opinions. They're like elbows. Everybody has them and they aren't very pretty, right? And that's pretty much the way that life is when we have the word of God as our ultimate authority to guide us through life as the owner's manual again it helps society function so much better than it does whenever there is division Ahaz did not turn to God for help but that's what happens when you believe God is I said as I said only interested in keeping you from enjoying your fun 
You don't lean into God, you lean away from God. Rather than Ahaz and the people of God repenting of what had gotten them into trouble in the first place, you know what they did? What they did is they, they turned to the king of Assyria and they hired him to come down and to war against the Syrians and against Israel and protect them. The Assyrians were idol worshipers. God was opposed to what they stood for. He was against who they worshipped. The Bible says in 2 Kings 16 and 8, Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house and sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. And that's what happens when you begin to look to the wrong source. When the church begins to look to the wrong source for leadership, we end up giving away the things that are so valuable to us, the things that money cannot buy, the relationship with God, the protection, the provision of God, the destinies that God has for each one of us. We forfeit those things. And Ahaz persuaded Tiglath-Pileser to join him to fight against Syria to get him to fight for him, as I've already said, Ahaz had to give up all those incredible things of value. And sure enough, the king of Syria came to fight for Ahaz and Judah and defeated Syria. And he took the Syrian capital of Damascus. And after the battle was over, King Ahaz went to meet Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria. And this is where I want us to look. While he was there, he saw an altar in one of the pagan temples that really caught his eye. King Ahaz was impressed by its beauty and its modern architectural design. You see, it had all the latest bells and whistles. It was sleek. It was magnificent. It was stunning. It was beautiful. It was fascinating. And when your heart is not right with God, things that you shouldn't even be attracted to begin to appeal to you. I'm really wondering what the king of Judah, the people of God, was doing in a pagan temple in Damascus, Syria in the first place. But he was. After seeing this new model of altar built in the latest fashionable design, Ahaz didn't want to worship at the old altar anymore. Can you see it? That altar's too old-fashioned. We'll bring a copy of this new fancy modern altar back to Jerusalem and that will be the one that we'll offer the sacrifices upon and offer the peace offerings upon. Last Sunday, I talked to you about how to build a great personal altar. This is not how you do it. Not that Ahaz had spent very much time worshiping at altars to begin with. But you know what he did? With the altar that God had created, that God had designed, and that God had ordained and anointed. He said, you take that altar, hide it over there on the north side of the temple, tuck it away in some nook or cranny somewhere where we can't see it, get it out of the way, out of sight. And what we're going to do is we're going to worship at this new altar from here on out. But don't throw the old one away. There just might come a time when I need to get a hold of God. And if so, that's the one I'm going to inquire of the Lord at. You see, if that's not a picture of where many of us in the world have been in our relationship with God. Many of us in the church, I don't really know if there's a place in scripture that can describe it any better. This was the reason the nation of Judah was in trouble. God was second. 
Jesus said that you've got to put God first and then all of these things will be added to you. The priests were not even faithful to God because he had called them. And their highest calling was to minister not to man, but to God. When you read the story of, of Aaron being anointed, you read him being uh, going through the process and Moses anointing him. Do you know what he did right after he was anointed? He didn't go minister to people. He turned his back on the congregation and went into the presence of God where he ministered to the Lord for seven days. And then on the eighth day is when he came out to minister to mankind. Because our first and highest calling in ministry is not to minister to mankind. It's to minister to the Lord. Out of that grows our ability to be able to minister to people. Our love, our compassion, the power that we need to help people see the presence of God transform their lives. The second calling of every priest is to help people connect with God. But here's what you need to understand. That if the priest is not connected to God, he can't very easily connect people to God either. If the only calling they're worried about is ministering to people and they don't take time to build a personal relationship with God, then our ministry as priest is not going to be effective with humanity. Priests were to point their nation toward God. What that really means is he stood, he should have stood up and said to Ahaz, no, that's the altar of the Lord. We have to leave it in its right place. But instead, he complied with the request of the king and had this new fancy altar built and everything seemed to be fine. But it wasn't. And before it was all over with, they paid a horrific price for putting God second. God commanded that we should put him first. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and him only shalt thou serve. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. You might be asking, Pastor, why are you preaching like this today? I'll tell you why. I don't believe that this pandemic has been the judgment of God. I believe God is merciful every single day. His mercies are new and fresh every morning. God loves us with a love that is passionate and pure and never ending. In fact, one of my favorite verses, a verse that transformed my life when I first found it, is in the book of Malachi, where God says, I have always loved you. He not only always has, he always will. But sometimes we haven't always been as pure in our devotion to God as the church. And this is the concern that I have. Just like Ahaz and Judah walked out from underneath God's protection... I fear that much of the world might have done the same thing because we've played games with God. The average Christian goes to church about 1.7 times a month. That's right, 1.7 times a month, and that's declining. Though I believe that somehow in the middle of all of this crisis, though God didn't cause it, he's pointing people back to what really matters again. Because you see, when you get in trouble, that new fancy altar doesn't work so well, does it? We need that one that God has blessed and God has anointed, and that God has sanctioned. America has been in trouble for a long time spiritually. Really has. Really has been in trouble a long time. 
We've wanted to keep God close. Close enough that we could call on him if we need him. Don't throw him out. Don't put him by the curb. Don't let the, the, the garbage truck pick him up in the morning. No, just tuck him away back there in the corner where we can call on him when we have to. But until we have to, hey, hey we've got this new altar here. Works really well. Well, let me say it. You already know this. And I'm just going to confirm what you already know. The news is simply this. God doesn't want to be anybody's plan B. He won't allow us to make him an option like power steering or automatic door locks. He won't do that. God's not going to be tucked away in a corner and sit patiently waiting for his, with his arms folded until we decide that we need him. No, we're supposed to love him with all of our heart. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So what do we do? Very frankly, this is what we must do if we're going to have God's grace on our lives from this time forward. And this is a call to every believer. This is a call to every Christian. Consider what I'm saying. This is a call to people that in the middle of this pandemic have had their hearts shaken and stirred as their world has been disrupted all around them. It didn't take long for that to happen, did it? A matter of a few days, a couple of weeks, and suddenly the economy has ground to a halt. Everything we trusted in, we found out, is very, very fragile indeed. So what do we do to recover from this? And what should life look like coming out the other end of this pandemic? Number one. We should always remember the lesson that is learned, and that is this. Life doesn't turn out very well when you ignore the owner's manual. The Bible, again, is the handbook for how to live a successful life. And number two, we don't do well when we put God second. We don't. He does fine. We can put him second, third, fourth, tenth. 15th. In fact, we can completely dismiss him from the scene. But you know what? God is still God, and that doesn't affect who he is at all. He does great. We're the ones who suffer if we do that very thing. If we put God at any position other than first place. Number three, let me say this word to believers again. The church needs to pull the old altar of God out of the mothballs, dust it off, and put it back into action. It's time to go to church again. We'll be just very soon. And when they lift the restrictions, we ought to be in the house of God. We ought to be worshiping. We ought to be committed. We ought to be faithful. We ought to be there thanking God for having brought us through. I'm going to have a praise for God when this is all over. Because he kept me and my family safe. And we just can't let that happen and fail to give him thanks for that. So we need to be back in the house of God. God is as relevant as he ever was. And he's needed today more than ever. And we need to stand where the Bible says stand. I'll say this about that. I grew up in the SEAL team of religion. I'm talking about they were tough. And only a few were going to make it, you know, and they doubted, you know, if the other folk in the church were going to make it. And everybody looked at each other through narrowed eyes of suspicion and wondered if you were going to really be ready when Jesus came. 
I, I don't believe in uh, that kind of an attitude in the church where you hate everybody. You know, praise God, you're going to hell. Hallelujah. You know, that, that's terrible. That's not the love of God. When priests minister to God, we show the love of God to the world. When God is our highest delight and our first priority, something happens in our heart. The old song used to go, makes me love everybody. And it will. It will make you love your enemies. Jesus said that. And so what we need to do is we need to get rid of those inferior religious systems that we've used as a substitute for God. Stop choosing the parts of the Bible that we want to live by and ignoring those we don't. The word of God is the ultimate authority, but we need to love everybody regardless if they make that commitment the way we're doing or not. If they don't, if they never make a, com a commitment to serve God, we need to still love them and show the love of God to them. And then finally, number five, let's put God first again and watch as he restores and blesses our nation. Matthew 6 and 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Here's what's tragic. If the qualifying condition that must be met for God to add these other things to us is that we must put him first. What do you suppose will happen if we don't? Obviously, God isn't under any obligation to then bless us, is he? And so... I want to close and I want us to pray for our nation. I want us to pray for churches. I want us to pray for the unsaved. If you give your heart to God, you need prayer for a special need, contact the link that's on the screen below. And I want us to bow our heads right now and pray. Heavenly Father, I pray first of all against this COVID-19 virus that has literally attack the earth I pray that you would bring healing I pray that God you would cause grace to be poured out upon every person that's struggling right now because of this sickness not only heal those who are sick but minister to families who can't even go to the hospital to visit their loved ones minister to families that have had to have funerals that they could not even attend because of the circumstances of this sickness God, bring this nation to righteousness again. Send revival to America. In the middle of all of this darkness, I pray that you will speak a word of encouragement to every one of us. Bless us. God, turn us to God. Deal with those that don't know you. Right what's wrong in our society. Heal the division that exists. Cause people to be united and to love each other again. We ask it for your glory. I pray for the unsaved right now, that if there's one person listening to my voice that doesn't know you, save them, Jesus. I ask you to come into their heart, be their Lord and Savior. And beloved, if you're listening and you're unsaved, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, pray that prayer and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I want to know you. I want you to be my Savior. I ask it in Jesus' name. And then, dear friend, I want you to do three things. Three other things besides praying and inviting Christ into your life. Number one, be baptized in water to follow the example of Jesus. 
Number two, be filled full of the power of the Holy Spirit that you can become, as it were, a representative of God, powerful and mighty in the earth, bringing people to Christ and defeating the works of darkness. And number three, join a good Bible-believing church. Get involved in a Bible study. Become a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I can't wait to see you again. I miss you so much to our church family. Grieves and breaks my heart that we're unable to be able to come to the house of God and worship. And I look forward so much to seeing you in the Lord's house again very, very soon. It's going to be an amazing time when we come and lift up our voices and praise to God. Sing his praises. Worship him. And rejoice in all the good things he did for us and how he brought us through this epidemic. I love you. God bless you. Be strong, be well, be safe, and walk in the divine favor of God. I want to close with a priestly benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you.